Hello, and welcome to the Gundam Sentinel Podcast. My name is Gordon, and I'll be your host of this limited run series. Gundam Sentinel is a side story set in the Universal Century timeline of Mobile Suit Gundam. I've always loved this IP, and I wanted to share my love analysis of this with you. This does, however, contain spoilers for other works in the Universal Century timeline, so be warned. I hope you guys enjoy. Chapter 7 Eagle Fall the Pegasus Three bridge was red from flashing lights, which created a tense atmosphere aboard the ship. All officers and personnel wore normal suits in preparation for battle. Task forces Alpha and Beta were given the task to invade and secure the entrance point in Iyer City, as well as fight the defending New Decide's fleet. The main Federation fleet would fight Iano's fleet. The plan was that New Decides would send some of their own forces to assist Aino, which would weaken the defenses for Iyer City. A countdown to commence the operation simultaneously was winding down to zero on all ships. Once the countdown reached zero, the ship's propulsion thrusters were ignited, and the vessels headed towards their pre-assigned locations to prepare for the cannon barrage. The fleet moved at maximum combat speed to the next firing position. Operation Eagle Fall had officially begun. All over the battlefield, colorful rays of light intertwined with each other. Nero's and Nouvelle GM-3s were dispatched with heavy landing equipment and moved quickly towards the moon's surface. Task Force Alpha and Beta moved in a single file formation toward the new Decide's fleet. The enemy fleet has been discovered. One battleship and five cruisers, the spotter reported to Heathrow. Concentrate all fire on that battleship. Ignore the cruisers. The Pegasus Three and the other vessels in the fleet, upon entering the fire range with their main weapons, turn to port and fire their main cannons in sequence. The beams fire the weapons rather at the new decides flagship, the Kilimanjaro. Despite an improvement in accuracy since the one-year war with the use of beam weapons, they still depend on visual aiming, laser locks, and heat detection, which makes critical hit rates extremely low. The continuous loud noises caused the gigantic body of the battleship Kilimanjaro to shake. On the bridge, Ka was thrown into the air by the resulting shock. Brave, the enemies have begun their main assault. Craze said, holding onto the readings display tightly to stabilize his floating body. It seems so. I thought they would deal with INL's fleet first. I didn't expect them to battle at two fronts. Ka flowed to the navigations officer and asked how the mobile suits on defense. They're engaged in the enemy's landing team. Our side has only been attacked by the ship's cannons. Then hurry up and return fire. Understood. After that, the damage report came in. The early attack hit our stern. Rear decks 11 to 37 have been sealed. The area around the ship's stern have been pierced several times. Lies are being risked to rescue the wounded, but several troops had already, begin, already been sucked into the vacuum of outer space. The hole's diameter is so large that emergency repair is unable to fill them. The Kilimanjaro took a great deal of damage for all the combined attacks. An operator informed Cod that stern and portside weapons were knocked offline. Also, the steering controls were limited due to damage. Cod was angered. The mobile suit deck in front should be fine, right? Order all crew to evacuate the ship. All mobile suit pilots awaiting orders follow me. We'll eliminate the enemy fleet. Let's go, Tosh. He grabbed the moving hand grip on the wall, which was luckily fairly stable. 
Brave, calm down. You are our commander. We should land an Iron City and organize a defense force, not duel the enemies here. Don't you understand? If the other side fires at the residents of Iron City, we would grab justice. Pray gave Chase to convince him, to no effect. Tosh, I think you've known me long enough to realize I'm not as smart as you. I wish to do battle here, and no one should even think of holding me back. The one most suitable to command everyone is yourself. Go to Iron City to assist Josh. The new decides will be left in your hands. Brave caught lodged in the Mark V with some Zico Ein's trailing in support. Prey stood next to an extremely large mobile suit in the storage area. The suit, codenamed Zekutswai, was another product of the X-Series. It was produced at Peasant and were made in limited numbers. When new decides withdrew from Peasant, they brought all the completed units and spare parts. The Zekutswai represented the current generation of heavy mobile suits that were used by the Instructor Corps. Cray asked if Zekutswai was ready for launch of some of the engineers in the bay. They informed it would need some adjustments to allow for a lunar landing. He then allowed them to leave the ship on the escape shuttle and they would rendezvous at Iyer City. He then boarded the Zekutswai and closed the hatch. Tosh Cray, launching. The Zekutswai launched from the Kilimanjaro from an aft launch deck and proceeded into orbit to land on the moon. The Federation battle plan was proceeding as expected. As predicted, Aino's fleet requested support from the new Decides fleet. This left the intended landings unopened and allowed the Lunar Descent squadrons to suppress Iyer City. Meanwhile, Josh Offshore had begun defense prep already. He commanded a section of the Iyer City Defense Force along with two assault cruisers carrying ex-Titan's mobile suit squadrons. However, the troops that came directly under his command were cadets from the Earth Federation Youth Academy in Iyer City. The soldiers were characterized by age and past unit affiliations and each division was given a color code to distinguish them. The division serving under him was White Squadron. Listen carefully. Do not waste ammunition. Wait until you're close to about half your effective range before you start shooting. The enemies are descending are defenseless and able to retaliate. This mission should not be difficult to you at all. However, be careful, as their descent speed will be faster than you think. Despite his age, he was a capable member of the Instructor Corps and taught battle tactics well. After listening to Offshore's instructions, the young members of White Squadron gave a loud and energetic reply. Indeed, they were all young and without any prior combat experience, but that was one of war's truth. Whether an adult or child, it was impossible to prevent being entwined in the spiral of war. Offshore recalled that the gun pilots he had encountered at Peasant were also newcomers who lacked combat experience. Was the enemy using a squadron of so-called new types? But if they are new types, no matter how tactically proficient they are, can they really single-handedly change the outcome of war? The cruel reality of children's involvement in war triggered great remorse in Offshore's heart. He had joined the forces to accumulate bargaining chips for his future political career, but with the rise of new types, his past values had been shattered. He was not on a new type himself, and was hoping that once the battle would start, he would be too distracted and not to dwell on such things anymore. The main assault force was comprised of Nero's and Nouvelle GM-3s. The Gundam squadron had different responsibilities. They already sent in, in advance to mop up any ambushing units that were lying in wait for the Federation mobile suits. 
The Superior Gundam was in G Cruiser mode and was doing a surface raid. All of a sudden, he spotted three GM3s and warned Tex Rest in his Zeta Plus. Roots opened fire with a beam can and destroyed one, while Tex West destroyed the other two. Offshore was not surprised, based on their inexperience, that the troops in this White Squadron were nothing more than target practice. Another White Squadron soldier caught sight of the Federation Gundam and was terrified. Josh tried to calm him and redirect his attention into the focus. He said that even though it's a Gundam, it wasn't a new type that was flying it. He even tried to lie to him and say they were inexperienced. It was true that the Gundam team were not new types, but their capabilities and firepower were far superior to the novice pilots of the White Squadron. At the same time, Cod in the Mark V was putting on an amazing display of combat prowess while rushing into battle zone held by INL's fleet. Installed on board, this mobile suit was an incom system, which was similar to the Psychomo system, in that it utilized brainwaves to control remote weapons. This type of weapon had been in use since the One Year War, but it required a new type at its controls. And only recently has technology improved enough so that normal humans could use it. In an era of precision-guided weapons, could easily be rendered ineffective by Minovsky particles. The Incom system was perhaps the only effective type of remote-controlled weapon. The two discs the Mark V shot out moved about freely, unhindered, and controlled by Cod's will. They continuously fired off beams, instantly bearing nine of Task Force Alpha's mobile suits within them. <laughs> Cowards. Don't tell them that no one dares to step up and challenge the Mark V. This caused some hesitation for the Federation vessels in the area as he easily destroyed another GM-3 and caused collateral damage to a nearby cruiser. A main fleet mobile suit pilot requested support from the FAD squadron and asked for them to take out the blue Gundam equipped with an incom system. Crypt received the request and was unsure what this enemy could do and was worried that he was facing a Gundam unit. Nevertheless, he proceeded with haste to attack the enemy unit. He directed Aldrin and Grissom in their FAD units to fire their missiles to pin down the Mark V before using their long-range particle cannons. He warned them to be careful if he got too close with his deadly incoms. Cod smiled when he saw the incoming missiles. He was a well-trained soldier and shifted his suit downwards and accelerated. The G-forces were incredible. Explosions from the missiles buffeted his cockpit and caused him to have his field division diminish. He unconsciously bit down and caused a tooth to become dislodged and he cursed when he refocused. Crypt felt that the suit was surely done for. Out of the explosion, Cod's mobile suit emerged, although not unscathed. The Incon system was rendered inoperable from damage. He was able to anticipate the Faz's attacks and readied his beam saber for a melee attack. Crypt ordered his wingman to evade, but Grissom could not get away. His suit exploded in a ball of flame. Crypt and Aldrin withdrew. Aldrin, however, became angered and went back to get that blue Gundam that destroyed his wingman. Crypt implored him to withdraw or else suffer the same fate as Grissom. The faz of the task force was inferior to the Zeta Gundam and trusted the Judo Ashta. It wasn't capable of fighting close range and lacked the mega cannon mounted on the head. Cod realized its fatal flaw and charged the two remaining fazes with his beam saber drawn again. He quickly destroyed Aldrin's suit, but not before he cried out for his mother. Chris Fazes uses its AMBAC system to help evade. He desperately fired the beam cannon on his shoulder, even though he knew it would not hit his opponent. 
Cobb was cautious and used his beam saber to destroy Cliff's right shoulder. At the same time, a beam cannon on the Faz had fired, causing damage to Cod's repulsion system. It was at that moment he realized he needed to retreat. Aino's fleet was able to retreat to a safe area, and so Cod bought, brought his Mark V to the moon. Meanwhile, Chris Faz did damage and was likely to detonate, so he ejected in his pod. The assault force of 42 mobile suits was able to land on the moon, since there were no enemy forces to hinder them. Roots was able to patrol the airspace. He then received an order to intercept the Mark V. He was shocked to hear that the fast squadron was destroyed, and although Crypt was okay, Grissom and Aldrin were to killed in battle. Roots got angered at Manning's monotone description of how Grissom and Aldrin died and felt that he should too be angry or upset. Manning said, I discarded my emotions ever since I was a mobile suit pilot. Roots, even more people died during the last war. I lost even more friends and companions, but in war, there's no time to get upset. Save your rage for the enemy mobile suits. You're the only one that could do this. Do it for Grissom and Aldrin. Roots suppressed the urge to scream. Mangs was right. This is war. He transformed into mobile suit mode. This was S Gundam's most powerful form, the EXS Gundam. Roots, filled with rage, flew to the lunar surface to prepare to intercept the blue Gundam Mark V. Unable to comprehend emotions. Roots did not yet realize that his will was not the only one inside the S Gundam. For this week, we're going to talk about the Zekutswai, codename RMS-142. Maximum height of 27.44 meters, head height of 25.2. It has a total rear width of 40.32 meters, base weight of 88.2 tons. Totally equipped, it goes up to 151.7 tons. Power generator output of 7,330 kilowatts has six 31,900 kilogram thrusters and then 10 additional 7,900 kilogram thrusters. An effective sensor radius of 20,300 meters. It has for armor Gundalium composite. Standard armor, of course, has standard 60 millimeter Vulcans that are head mounted, two beam savers with one megawatt output, and three missile pods with 18 missiles each for a total of 54. It has 14 attitude control verniers. Zekutswaya RMS-142 is a special limited production machine with a performance that doubles that of Zeku Ainz. That was previously developed as a general purpose mass production type unit. It is a part of this X-series developed on Peasant. It reminds you of the Zeku Ainz, but even bulkier, and it's so thick. It also reminds me somewhat of a Bowser from Mario Brothers in terms of its stance. It has a very unique appearance and unlike most mobile suit designs from either Universe Century or the alternate universe for that matter. It is a super large mobile suit that is battle oriented that possess possesses Cudian's technology and its silhouette does not quite have a humanoid appearance. 
is because the front and rear width becomes abnormally long compared to the conventional mobile suit due to the huge propulsion block connected to the main body via a movable frame and with increased boosters. Despite the size of this unit, it does it is rather able to maintain a balance between heavy armament and mobility. Despite its size, it's incredibly maneuverable and really cannot be thought of as a 150-ton class mobile suit. In addition to its main arms, it has two simple sub-arms that grow from either shoulder. These sub-arms are for supporting the main arm and include support and operation of weapons. And one shoulder on each of the left and right can perform and work beyond the capacity of one mobile suit. It has multiple hard points that allow for the attachment of the optional weapon systems and equipment such as sensor radomes, storm files, ammunition, etc. Eagle Falls is the name of this chapter and episode. Although I do not have proof of connection, it does seem somehow to be connected to the Apollo 11 mission. And why do I think that? Both Operation Eagle Fall and Apollo 11 relate to the landing on the moon. Apollo 11 is known for the saying, the eagle has landed. It seems fitting to at least revisit the moon and in particular discuss the Apollo 11 mission. The Apollo mission series goal was to put a man on the moon, specifically an American astronaut. It was a national goal set by President John F. Kennedy where he stood before Congress on May 25, 1961 and felt that the U.S. should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the Earth. He would later give a speech at Rice University's Rice Stadium on September 12, 1962. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they're easy, but because they're hard, because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we're unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. JFK, however, would not live to see the day of the Eagle landing as he was assassinated in 1963. Apollo 11 launched from Earth from Kennedy Space Center on July 16, 1969, and landed back on Earth on July 24, 1969. The three crew members include Neil Armstrong, Michael Collins, and Edwin Buzz Aldrin. Yeah, the same name as a now-deceased Faz pilot. Apollo 11 took off from Kennedy Space Center on the massive Saturn V rocket, the takeoff mass was over 100,000 pounds. The call sign of the command module was Columbia. The manufacturer of the, call, the command module was North American Rockwell. It was a craft that allowed for the three astronauts to return to Earth. The lunar module, which landed on the moon, had the call sign of Eagle. You can kind of see the connection now. When the lunar module landed, the landing spot was designated Tranquility Base. At 16-18 hours on July 20, 1969, Neil Armstrong was heard back at Mission Control in Houston via radio transmission with his famous saying, The Eagle has landed, when it touched down. The site was in the southwestern corner of the Sea of Tranquility. Incidentally, remember the connection between Apollo 11 and Gundam? The landing site was the site where Von Braun City would be later built. The landing module is manufactured by Grumman. The crew returned to Earth in the North Pacific Ocean and were recovered by the USS Hornet, a U.S. aircraft carrier, on July 24, 1969. There will be show notes and references listed at the bottom of this episode you can refer to if you wish. Next episode, Chapter 8, 
the Battle of Ayers. Brave Cod and Ruyutes have a faithful encounter. The new decides and task force fight fiercely for control of Ayers City. All the while, Alice learns more of what it means to be human. Please be sure to check out the Twitter page at Gundam Sentinel 2, Instagram at Gundam Sentinel Podcast, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Gundam Sentinel Podcast. If you like what you hear, please rate and give a review on whatever it means you listen to this podcast and tell your Gundam-loving otaku friend to check it out. Until next time.